Thank you for joining. This is the Up to Date Podcast. My name is Julia, and with me today I have AJ Burt. And AJ, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Hi, Julia. Thanks for having me. I'm AJ. I have lived in Columbus for a little over three years now, originally from Cincinnati. I moved here after graduating from Wittenberg University about 45 minutes west of here. I was a swimmer, and now I've taken up running, so I'm a land creature, to my (laughs) surprise. (laughs) In my free time, I really like to cook, really like to bake. Got a free KitchenAid mixer recently. Congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's been really fun. That's a little bit about me. Cool. So today's topic is focused on the LGBTQ plus community and relationships and how they are inherently untraditional. So AJ, why don't you tell me a little bit about why this was something of interest to you or how this applies to you? Yeah, so I myself am a gay man. I feel like I live that. And while living it out, I've been with my boyfriend, I guess should, I guess I should say, for a little over three years now, three and a half. His name is John. I guess what I want to sort of portray is that John and I have a normal relationship by every human definition. We have bedhead. We <laughs> lose things around the house, including Tums bottles and Advil bottles. We decide what we want to watch in the evenings together. But... Being gay and a member of the LGBT community inherently is a little different and brings differences in how you can meet people, which I think is really interesting. You don't wear sexual orientation on your sleeve. You don't really wear it outwardly in most cases. Mm -hmm. It can often be pretty subtle. So there's a really interesting piece of the LGBT community. We are an interesting piece of the LGBT community just being in a relationship because meeting other people can be difficult, if that makes sense. It's interesting in Columbus, too, because Gallup in 2015 did a study on sexual orientation, the largest of its kind to history in the U.S., and found that Columbus had the 15th highest LGBT population in the country. Wow. And that population includes all the way to the outer belt of Columbus. So if you actually look at the concentrated downtown center, which is a lot, a a much smaller population, you actually get quite a dense community down here. So... It's really an interesting piece of Columbus's history, and it's really an interesting piece of, you know, I feel like I'm living that history by being with John. Yeah. And there are so many, you know, really unique things about dating in the LGBT community that do differ from straight relationships. But sort of back to what I was saying, a lot of Mm -hmm. it is in how you meet and sort of how you create those spaces, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. How did you and John meet? Good question. (laughs) So, John and I met on Tinder. We're Tinderellas. <laughs> Tinderellas. <laughs> We've been together for, like I said, three and a half years now. Mm-hmm. I knew John before we actually matched on Tinder and made the rest history. Mm-hmm. He had actually been dating a friend of mine from high school, uh, one of my really good close friends. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'd, sort of, I'd seen pictures of John through my friend Chris. So I was like very happy for them. They split. We're all very amicable now. We're all still friends. Yeah, I was about to drive after graduating from Wittenberg from Ohio to San Francisco. And I thought it'd be fun to match with people on Mm -hmm. Tinder while I was driving across the country. And (laughs) I turned on Tinder while I was still in central Ohio and matched with John, recognized who he was, started our drive. And I said, well, why don't you just follow along with me on Snapchat? follow my adventures. Mm -hmm. And after we made it across the country, I came back and he asked me on a date. Yeah. Our first date was June 15th in 2015. We went to Harvest Pizza and Curio. Yeah. Now the rest is history. Wow. So would you say that the way you both met is unique to the way the LGBT community, you know, how people in that community meet in Columbus nowadays? That's a good question. 
I think you have to kind of look at a then and now approach to this. Dating, say, I mean, even 10 years ago Mm -hmm. is very different than dating right now. Really? In the LGBT community, 10 years ago, you didn't have apps like Tinder, Grindr, the infamous Grindr, right? Scruff, Bumble, all these. (laughs) You didn't have these social media platforms really to meet other people and sort of express that gay bit of you. Mm -hmm. That is maybe a little bit easier to do online or you're able to sort of project more online than in your everyday, Mm -hmm. just inherently making it something you value, etc. Now, I don't think it's as uncommon, but then I think, of of course it is. You, we have a lot of, John and I do really try to prioritize learning bits of gay history and learning from those who really had a struggle way before us. We're like the first generation of folks, LGBT plus folks, who've had the opportunity to be out in work, Mm -hmm. but also really just in normal society, everyday society in some aspects, Mm -hmm. right? So what we've learned from like older folks is an emphasis on gay spaces, Okay. Gay bars, mm-hmm. gay coffee houses. There used to be a gay cop. There used to be several gay destinations that weren't just bars all along High Street in the Short North, which was sort of the heart of the LGBT community mm-hmm. in Columbus, which, mm-hmm. as we mentioned earlier, is very thriving. Now, I believe the number I saw last was two in three gay couples meet online. Really? Yes. So if you look at those numbers now, I would have to go back. It was some, you know, Freakonomics video that I watched not too long ago that had other cool pop culture stats. But the number was about two and three couples meet online wow. uh, who are who identify as LGBT+. So to answer your question, no, I don't think we're unique, but mm-hmm. it is very different than the then. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. There's actually a really cool piece of history with, are you familiar with the book loft in German Village? Of course. So it actually used to be a cruising destination. Do you know what cruising is? No, what's that? Cruising is when you went to go out and cruise for other men. No way. Sometimes what? it was to seek, yeah, sometimes it was to seek, like, satisfy physical desires. Uh-huh. Sometimes that evolved into more. It's humans meeting humans, right? At the book loft? At the book loft. Wow. Yeah, there were certain rooms, and I I couldn't tell you what they are. Our friends, <laughs> our, our friends have told us about it. But, yeah, you would go to the book loft to go cruise and look for other men. You would know by their eyes the rooms that they were in. You would lock eyes with somebody. And there were multiple cruising destinations, like, across the city. There's a couple wow. on campus as well. OSU's always had a pretty thriving LGBT community. Mm-hmm. But, like I was saying earlier, these gay spaces were where you really, like, made those connections. Mm-hmm. So, that was, that. that's, like, a really cool, interesting piece of sort of that then, where maybe they would meet locking eyes at German Village Book Loft, or would meet at a gay bar, or mm-hmm. would meet at a gay coffee house, and et cetera, et cetera. Wow. That's amazing. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Do you know how long ago that was? I mean, definitely the 80s, even probably I would say the 90s. I can't, don't quote me on that, but our friends are in their 50s now. Okay. And have been in Columbus since graduating from Ohio State in the mid 80s. And they were very familiar with going cruising at the German Village Book Loft. Wow. Mm -hmm. And we're not even scratching the surface there. There's so much that I'm still learning and I'm not privy to, but it's really amazing to sort of hear these stories. Yeah. Which I think definitely relates to another really interesting point Mm -hmm. of John and I's relationship. We've been really lucky in that we can find these relationships to sort of model ourselves after. So now that we've, you know, met via Tinder, (laughs) continued on our relationship 
for these last three and a half years, like we've been able to find role models in a really thriving LGBT community from, you know, students who are graduating to even younger than that, all the way through to, you know, older folks who are, you know, now seeking, you know, senior elderly services. All of wow. them live here. John's also got two sets of lesbian aunts. No way. Right. Two and sets. Two sets. Wow. Yes. One of them is his mom's twin sister. Okay. And they all live here in Columbus. So John sort of always had, you know, one toe in the water when it comes to LGBT. <laughs> <laughs> Has that support system already. Exactly. And we've just been able to really model ourselves after wonderful people who have these awesome relationships. And like I was saying earlier, fundamentally, we're two humans who love each other, reflect yep. on our love, remind each other why we love. And having those role models we sort of started with in an untraditional mm -hmm. realm is really wonderful to have. And we're very lucky to have that here yeah. in Columbus and with his family too. Yeah, that's amazing. Do you think that the support that you had, the support system of all the different people in the LGBT community, do you think that they've helped you feel less like it's an untraditional relationship? Wow, that gives me chills thinking about it, honestly. <laughs> Makes me a little emotional because the answer is yes. Yeah. It does. It's very humbling that I'm able to be young and be happy and be gay. Yeah. One of our friends, his name is Terry. He's a really wonderful leader in the LGBT community here. Everything ranging from philanthropy to his just activism with HRC and putting on the HRC gala and driving that momentum. What is HRC? Sorry. Human rights campaign. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. okay. And yeah, really just leading lots of even earlier political movements in the city the struggle that they had makes our life way easier and that's why it makes me emotional yeah. that it does feel normal i went to my first columbus pride in 2016 and i got to attend with john's aunt bernie one of the wives of the four <laughs> lesbians in his family and she was at the first columbus pride when oh, wow. more than half the people were wearing bags over their faces that's at least what i was told you know at least some were wearing bags over their faces because they didn't want to be seen and had you know oh, threats wow. of losing their jobs and i got to attend my first pride with her and she i you know told her bernie this is my first pride and she looked at me and she started crying and she was like it's a great time to be young and be gay and I do feel that's the case because of what you said, that these relationships around us make it feel less untraditional. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think they're, I mean, just from what I hear from you and some other of my gay and lesbian friends, that they do, they are able to actually feel like they're the traditional, they're in a traditional relationship or going through traditional um, dating experiences. What are some examples, though, and I don't know if you'll have any specific ones, but examples of untraditional, like specific examples of untraditional relationship. I don't want to say stigma, but... Well, like norms, maybe? Norms, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a really good question, too. <laughs> Actually, at work on Friday, mm -hmm. I had someone on our team said, AJ, I have a question for you. And I was like, yeah, let me wrap something up. I'll come over. So mm -hmm. I went over and she was like, we were talking about a lesbian couple that just got engaged at work, too. And she was wondering how you ask one another, like, who decides that? Okay. And it's, that is something that is inherently untraditional as well. So you can kind of just throw it out the window, throw that tradition out the window. 
But it is interesting. I don't know everybody's approach to it. And I think it's really hard for like a straight couple or even somebody who's just straight to sort of wrap their brain around how you negotiate that conversation. Yeah. Because there are so many societal norms that are just pressed on the male mm-hmm. asking the female. Exactly. But what it boils down to in my answer to this colleague was it's two people figuring out what works for them. John knows that <laughs> he's going to be the one proposing because really? I like surprises and he doesn't. Okay. <laughs> But I don't know what that experience is for this lesbian couple that just got engaged Mm -hmm. really last week. Well, I mean, also, I feel like the normal, you know, the societal norms are also, they're kind of being broken down a little bit, too, because I just saw two months ago this barista at a coffee shop that I go to normally, his fiance proposed to him. And she's female. And that didn't seem out of whack for him, you know, or his friends. So I feel like with the way society is going right now with, you know, feminism and, you know, getting rid of gender roles specifically, I think that'll also help tie in or at least take down that barrier of untraditional, you know, LGBT relationships, things like that. It, I feel like it takes away the specific responsibilities you have and, like, specific roles that you have, too, you know, so... What even is gender these days? Right. <laughs> so many, <laughs> so many things, so many good updates, I would say, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, that is pretty cool to see. I think it's mattering less, you know, what role you play specifically What was your take on it? What's your take on uh, being... Are you... Do you identify as straight? Yes, I do. So what's your take on all of this? Do you um, want this? Like, do you want to sprinkle in untraditional things? <laughs> like, what's your what's your take on it? You know, honestly, I never actually thought about that. But let's say, you know, in terms of proposing things like that, I definitely like surprises, too. So it would. <laughs> I think it's more important for the person that I'm with. And it's hard to say because I'm single right now, you know, but I don't like all the rules that are completely you know set up like the the girl has to do the female sorry the female has to do all the cooking and cleaning and the guy has to do the work like that's so old-fashioned to me obviously so I do love you know what if you share the responsibility in cooking or one person that likes to cook dates a person that doesn't like to cook but they can clean up afterwards you know like share the responsibility I don't think there have to be defined rules or roles either you know Mm -hmm. and like I said before, I think the society—I think society is moving in that direction, and that's really great. If yeah. John were here, he would agree that we are both fighting for who can be the homemaker, and I think we're—I <laughs> <Really? laughs> think we're secretly hoping that the other one doesn't get that someday. <laughs> All I have to say is that I can arrange a mean vase of flowers. I think John can too, but I don't know. My mom, my mom, I think taught me pretty well, so. If I can put flowers on the table, that would make me happy. <laughs> Definitely. Wow. That's great. But I liked what you had to say about practicality. It's more about a decision of what's practical. One person likes to cook, one doesn't. One person is very successful at A. The other person is very successful at B, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's more about, I don't know, just practice what you enjoy doing, you mm-hmm. know? And hopefully you're not you're with someone that enjoys the opposite or enjoys doing that with you you know and like I said I don't think there need to be rules I feel like it's you just find what you both enjoy enjoy doing and I love your example of well John doesn't like surprises and I love surprises so (laughs) we know who's going to propose you know that simplifies it it doesn't create some kind of oh this has to be the way it goes there's no I'm kind of against the whole well that's the way that it's supposed to be so that's my take on it Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So we wanted to talk a little bit about monogamy, which I didn't mention at the beginning of the podcast. Mm -hmm. But yeah, go ahead and tell me a little bit about your views on that. Yeah, I believe it's man-made. Okay. I believe the monogamy (laughs) is man-made. Have you ever watched the Netflix documentary Explained? No, what's that about? 
They take a topic ranging from monogamy all the way to scooters to oh. yeah they they take these what they take like a topic and they just do this really twenty minute documentary feature on what that is and they sort of do this like in depth approach to what it is. Oh, that's really cool. It's a mini series. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was actually scooters, but they do like there's like fifteen of them. One is on monogamy, which I find really interesting. The stat was what Homo sapiens have been on this earth for. I actually have a stat. Oh, yeah, let's hear it. So Homo sapiens have been around on earth for about 300,000 years. And 90% of that time, we've actually been hunter-gatherers. And in the hunter-gatherer era, we obviously had a very different take on what sexual partners meant, mm -hmm. what being physical meant. There's actually still a community, like some uh, Venezuelan natives, who still exist in a non-monogamous society today. Wow. Yeah. I feel that monogamy is something that, it's like vegetarianism. <laughs> Hey, you're talking Some... to a vegan here, so be careful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not criticizing it at okay. all. You can choose to be vegetarian or vegan for health reasons. You can do it for biological reasons. You can do it for sustainability measures. Mm. But at the end of the day, I find it hard-pressed to find somebody who still doesn't think that bacon smells good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. So, I, and I do, I do think bacon smells amazing you Actually, do yes i love the smell of it what are there any other any other meats that you think smell delightful all of them i so i'm a very ironic vegan because i still really enjoy i i love meat and i love pe i love everything not vegan but i you know i have my reasons it's for health reasons so i still do enjoy the smell but <laughs> i'm just okay with not eating it <laughs> that's, that's just my take right now <laughs> well <laughs> good to know well back to monogamy i think it's important to recognize that love and monogamy are not the same thing. Love is a feeling versus monogamy is a rule. And I think it's interesting to think that, you know, we as humans want somebody to rely on, to find comfort with, you know, to keep the Sunday scaries away. However you feel mm -hmm. that you need another human, we love that sort of companionship. And we're kind of built for that. Like mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier, A and B, what's good, you know, what mm -hmm. works for us. So I would definitely say that monogamish is sort of like a healthy <laughs> approach that I would, I would sort of categorize myself in. Okay, I right. like it. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't want to, like, it's not necessarily about the stats behind it. I think it's more about what works for individuals and what works for couples. But sort of back to that bacon analogy, you know, it's it's always there. It always does smell good. It just is how you can balance that out with another human because we as humans are, we are bad at mm -hmm. monogamy. I think from the same explained documentary, I saw that in 2016, 2.2 couples were married, 800,000 were divorced. Oh my in 2016. Granted, not all of those are related to adultery. Right, right. But if we're looking at that sort of, you know, oh, I am all about monogamy, but it didn't work in my last three marriages. Well, are you choosing monogamy or are you choosing love, right? Mm. Because love and monogamy are not the same thing. That's a great, mm -hmm. great point. I think that it's really interesting. We've kind of through history looked it's evolved, right? Marriage has been marrying into a family. Then it turned into marrying because of love. And then we just sort of had this evolution of monogamy and what that is. I mean, there are still 20 states in the U.S. where adultery is illegal. Wow. Yes. And that crime can range from, I believe the number I saw was up to three years at some of the most extreme penalties. Oh my yeah. gosh. Now, of course, whether or not that's actually acted upon, yeah, that right. varies. It's likely there might not be any court cases for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I think monogamy is really interesting in that I feel, I don't have numbers, it is more prevalent to be slightly ajar in the LGBT plus community mm-hmm. than it is maybe in the heterosexual community. Back to our initial point that inherently untraditional right. monogamy is untraditional too. So I kind of mentioned, I think a little bit before, well, we already, you know, threw one social norm out the window. Why don't we just throw the rest of them out? All of them. <laughs> or just pick and choose which ones you want, right? Which ones yeah. you want to appreciate and <laughs> yeah. recognize. Or just don't even acknowledge them as social norms. Just acknowledge yeah. them as something that you want to do. Why does there have to be like a law? You know, it's, it doesn't make sense. To, I mean, I understand people want order and that's why we have social norms and, you know, but yeah, I totally see where you're coming from. So did you and John have the same kind of stance on monogamy as well? It's evolved. Okay. I think this is a new conversation for, uh, not not really new for us, but definitely I feel like it's somewhat new. People starting to, I mean, what, 10 years ago, seeing a documentary about monogamy on Netflix or the equivalent on cable, like probably wouldn't happen. So totally. in the same way that sort of, that has evolved, like we're sort of evolving in that perspective, but we both kind of agreed that one person forever is kind of a little naive, Hmm. at least for us. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So we didn't go into it sort of believing that, that was never, that was never like, oh, you know, I'm going to pick a partner, you know, based on what they feel about monogamy. I do have a, a specific friend who has said, that he can't be in a relationship with somebody who doesn't recognize that monogamy is man-made and sees an alternative to that. Wow. That is so interesting. Mm -hmm. So this might be a challenging question. Okay. But where do you see the views on monogamy going in the next 10 to 20 years? (gasps) I can't predict that, Julia. (laughs) But (laughs) I know you can't predict it, but... I think that we're going to start to... I do feel like there's going to be more open conversation about it. Okay. I feel that as we've, like, appropriated LGBT culture, like, in the same way that that's sort of been a conversation that's evolving, I mean, granted, it's sort of, you know, blown every trend out of the water and how fast people change their opinions on it. I'm not suggesting that that's going to happen with monogamy. Right. It's, you know, built around religion. It's built around so many different things. Societally, policy is built around two humans. So in that regard, I don't really sense sort of a sweeping change but Mm -hmm. I do feel like it will be more of a norm to recognize you know our polyamorous folks uh, and to focus on really what it means to be loving as two people but recognize that you know sexual desire sits outside it can sit outside of that if it's healthy for two people. I feel like like you said down the road in a few years or in a decade or two it it will be a conversation topic that will be more prevalent I feel like and people will be more open about it Um, and maybe that'll cause I don't know less divorces down the road you Mm -hmm. know who knows we we can't predict that but you know that's that's an open-ended kind of thought like as long as you're loving with your partner yes and you're honest and you're uh, embracing communication that really is most important. Uh, I don't want to misconstrue any of this and say that, you know, John and I are going, you know, out to uh, out every night and, you know, throwing our promiscuity at everybody. It's not <laughs> what this is about. I love John with all my heart. It's about a balance between two yeah, people. Yeah, and I've seen you both together. You're mm-hmm. very cute. Thank you. Very cute. So do you have any, because um, we're about to wrap up now, do you mm-hmm. have any, I don't like the word advice, but anything that you live by that you wish that took you a while to learn or something that you learned from your LGBT folks community 
that you'd like other people to know? Yeah, I have a couple things. One, I really struggled with the LGBT community at first. Okay. I did. I was just very new at it and kind of threw myself at it. It's the community's huge here. Mm -hmm. So it was all brand new to me. And so it sounds really cheesy and cliche, but be yourself. Don't try to be something different. Don't try to fit that mold in the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. Uh, My therapist always says, you think you might meet every LGBT human out there in the city of Columbus. You won't. (laughs) You will not meet every LGBT human out there. And it's because we all have a wide array of differences and values and beliefs. So just be who you are and know that you've got this family. Another one is actually something that John and I are really intentionally working on right now because he's so good at it. He's really good at reminding me of why he loves me. Oh. He's way better at it than I am. (laughs) So I'm working on it. And just from sort of, you know, sitting both on the ins, like looking through a window and into a mirror feels good. And I'm really trying. And it's satisfying when you get to do it, too. Yeah. Um, it's really great to be reflective in that way. And, you know, he can write his he can write he can write his wedding vows right now. So that's a positive, <laughs> too. You're not going to, you know, go cold turkey when you're sitting r- trying to write your wedding vows. Right. Right. Wow. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming and joining on the Up to Date podcast. I really appreciate that you came. Thanks, Julia. This was so fun. Thank you. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in, and we hope you join next time.